Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode eight, The Ring. Big Chilians. Hope you enjoyed the NFL Championship Sunday and listened to Eddie and myself and avoided every one of Sam's tips because you'd be a nice winner if somehow you were able to listen to the podcast before it was released <laughs> the minutes yeah. before. But <laughs> you would have got it, it. It went live at halftime of the second game. So no help whatsoever <laughs> for the Bucks Packers pick, but maybe could have influenced. I mean, at that point, the Chiefs were up by 14 points or something. But yeah, one listener has accused us of uh, intentionally releasing it late, as if we <laughs> recorded it like mid-game, which would have been ambitious. Do we need to timestamp? <laughs> yeah. Also, if that is the case, then thank you, Sam, for graciously falling on your sword and, <laughs> yeah. and making two incorrect oh, predictions. You're welcome. If that were the case, we'd be a lot better at predicting games than our record after 17 weeks was. I mean, in fairness, our, our playoff record is good. So, yeah. I mean, I guess that's an opportunity maybe just to, to say where the situation is before we hop on to other topics. But yeah. Sam has, for maybe the third or fourth time this year, blown a lead in a picks contest he is becoming something of the atlanta falcons of predictions um this time maybe the most painful because he really just needed one right from those two games uh but after the interesting thing is so after last night's games against the spread all three of us are now tied going into the super bowl we're all seven and five so Frank, you and I went two and zero, and Sam, you went zero and two, and the three of us all now seven, seven, seven and five. So all to play for on Super Bowl Sunday. In terms of money line, Frank, you now have you're in the driver's seat because you are now ten and two. I am nine and three, and Sam Ooh. is out of the running at eight and four. So if you get the Super Bowl winner right, or if we just pick the same team, then you have won the playoff money line competition. But I'm going to say anyway, uh, the fact that we're 10 and two, nine and three and eight and four is just pretty good to have all three of us be, you know, hitting at worst 75%. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty proud of my picking in this. Unfortunately, it hasn't fully transferred over to the real world where I keep after the the weekend, I keep thinking to myself, why didn't I just do what I said I was going to do and bet the games I said that I wanted to bet. And it always ends up coming back. But yeah, a good, a good weekend for you and I both going two for two in the money line and in the spread, which is always nice. Um, Sam, I think was a little too ambitious in his bills pick. The Packers pick proved to be close that Bill's pick, I think, was a little ambitious. Um, and it seems that the Chiefs are the team we thought they were and not the team that was kind of still in its caterpillar phase and not yet the butterfly. They have fully butterflied this playoff season, at least. I don't know if you saw the stat on the playoffs so far, 
but they've had 15 offensive. Do you want to let do you want to let Sam defend himself before you move on? <laughs> well, I was just going to say was if you got the money line, you were going to get the spread. They were both three. Like no one was going to thread that needle right. So it was kind of like a shit or bust yes. going into that game. Well, if Matt LaFleur decided to kick away. another field goal at the end, they might have went down too. <laughs> that's, that's an interesting discussion point for sure. The, the game management from uh, LaFleur. But no, I, uh, I got it wrong. I mean, the Bills, the Bills was the one, save the first quarter, the Bills was the one that never really got going. Whereas there was that legitimate point with the Packers where they... Brady threw, what is it, three picks in four possessions that you really felt that there was a moment where the Packers would come back. And I was like, okay, well, you know, if this goes, then I'm one up. And then the Bills is just like a, a freebie of sorts ahead of you. But no, Bills never really got going. Allen, I think Allen came out and he just was like, that's not really the way we wanted to play, the way I wanted to play. It just never seemed to work for them against the Chiefs. Chiefs were just overall much better. Yeah. I mean, the Chiefs offense, like I was saying, this they've had 15 drives this postseason so far seven touchdowns four field goals a missed field goal and one punt so far and then two kneel downs in victory formation so their 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 offense is pretty hot and i think the, as the i think the problem with the bills if we kind of look back on it we can kind of get into the games i guess if we want but knowing that the chiefs are going to score so much there was a few times where they had fourth down and short yardage and they just decided to go for the field goal. And as a, as a coach playing against the Chiefs, you kind of have to question that field goals aren't going to win you that game, right? I mean, you need to score touchdowns to beat the Chiefs. And they just went behind too much, too quick by the third quarter. They were down, what, 24 points? So, Well, but also one of my points about the reasons why the Bills would win completely flipped on its head, which was efficiency in red zone. Um, the Chiefs made five red zone trips, got 35 points. The Bills made five and got 18. So it's the complete opposite of what I said, basically. But that was the ultimate reason. The, the Chiefs were just offensively better. But also they protected Mahomes really well. Um, I, I, I found mean, I, the Bills never really got going with anything. I felt like well, Allen. I mean, hold on, hold on. I think everyone's also got to put the position. When the Chiefs were 9-0 up, which should have been 10-0 apart from a missed extra point, like... They had a, they had, they were in a position there to start to assert themselves in the game, and everyone can say like the Chiefs are comfortable being behind in the playoffs. I don't believe that. I mean, I know that they will, they will be comfortable in the sense that they won't doubt themselves, but it's not like they want to be down ten points in playoff games. Um, it's just that then the Bills had a couple crucial drives, but I think it's very easy in the end because the Chiefs won fairly comfortably in the second half to never feel like that game was in doubt, but you would have been a very brave man at Bill's 10-0 up to just be like, oh yeah, this game, yeah, Chiefs are in total control right now. I mean, it's hard to say because it was literally like, what, six minutes into the game <laughs> and the Chiefs had only had one drive. So. No, but that whole first quarter, I, I think was yeah. a pretty, pretty fair, a pretty equal game, I'd say. The Bills did look more assured i guess but they were aggressive on that first drive right they went for it on fourth down they showed they were kind of right intent there and then i think they didn't know whether to stick or twist a little bit on some of them yeah. um 
Yeah, because there was more in the second half as well. Like, I think there was like a, a fourth and goal on the two, wasn't there? And then on the eight. Well, that was well. the first half. The, that was the end of the first half one was fourth and yeah. goal on the two. But, the, but there was a couple where those short field goal choices in a championship game, you know, the, the Bills maybe with a bit more aggressive play calling. Because what, what the Bills were actually doing quite nicely was the short throw designs. I actually thought were quite good against the Chiefs. They just weren't getting anything deep. So I, th- I thought they were moving kind of the chains quite nicely, but it was a short field goals and a, a feeling of just for me, an overall feeling of like conservatism from the bills in that game. I don't know what you two think about that, but it just didn't really feel like the bills we've seen, you know, kind of those long throws kind of explosive plays where they can get down the field really quickly. It felt a lot more like slower play calling really kind of neat short passing, but ultimately bit more of a slog i think in a way they may have been hurt by the fact that they got that early lead i think they would have been better suited to it from the first quarter just being in a kind of shootout and feeling like in every possession they needed to remain aggressive i think they almost psychologically may have been a bit damaged like a sense that oh we, we're in a position to protect something now and even if it's only the first quarter it's easy to kind of switch into that mode of like we've got a two score lead Let's try and maintain that and let's just try and stay ahead versus let's just keep the kind of keep the gas down. Yeah, I think actually the Chiefs defense did a decent job in putting some pressure on um, Allen. And I think that kind of forced them to maybe put in some quicker passes and knowing that they were going to bring pressure to kind of do those quicker dump offs, those medium range passes, instead of having the time to sit back there and let a long play develop. So I, th- I think the Chiefs defense, at least the coaching of the defense played pretty well. And I think overall, I, 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 you can't knock the defense that had them held to 15 for most of the game. And then, I mean, obviously they picked up those 10 points and, or nine points kind of at, at the end with what, five minutes left or whatever it was. But I, I think the Chiefs defense for what it is, played a very good game in kind of getting Allen out of his rhythm with those deep balls and stuff like that and, and kind of forcing him to adapt and have those short passes. But I think that's a misconception about the bills that they were built on deep balls. We kind of discussed this, the, the, over the course of the playoffs, like yes, Diggs has been a deep threat and yes, Josh Allen has turned himself into like being effective over 20 yard passes, but their offense hasn't been built to just be, like a deep threat only game. I think Josh Allen, the Chiefs defense was good. I think Josh Allen just had a terrible game, fundamentally. Like he lost that game for the Bills. I think that's a little harsh. Lost the game. Really? I mean, he threw terrible picks. He should have thrown more picks than he'd thrown. He threw two. He only threw one pick. He threw one interception, but then he also had two picks that were just flat out dropped one of which was atrocious. The, he was saved by Beasley early on in the game, which allowed them to get three points on the board anyway. But like he, to me, he just was, he was below par. And you the, can't play a, a championship game with a QB playing below par. This might be a poor way of explaining it, but there, there was always this feeling that he was scuttling around the pocket poorly as well. Uh, there was never that. I don't know if that's to do with his blockers, but he never seemed to get himself in good positions in the pocket. There always seemed to be these like weird jolting movements that would then throw off his technique. 
it, it just watching him in the pocket just never seemed comfortable in that whole game. Yeah, and he made bad decisions too. Like he took bad sacks that didn't need to be sacks where he could have got rid of the ball. He got lucky on one of them when he got pushed out of bounds and he just released the ball just like this, a millisecond before his foot came down. But on some of those 13, 14, 15-yard sacks, he could have just got rid of the ball well before it became a huge issue. I think and I know an he had an intentional grounding on one of them, right? He had an intentional grounding as well. So, I mean, just yeah. his decision-making wasn't very good. Yeah, he didn't have a sack as bad as Mahomes had in that first round of the playoffs, but he did have three of them that combined to make a worse one than the Mahomes one. There was two that were really bad. Like, he just kept backing up and backing up, and I was like, dude, just even if he had taken the grounding at the first point of contact instead of, like, trying to break away, stepping back five more yards and then getting sacked again, you know, like, the, the one was bad. And then the other one, that last one where he then threw the ball at the – defender's face that was a really bad one too yes which was just also a colossal waste of everyone's time when they suddenly then spent 10 minutes trying to unpack what had happened for it then to just be offsetting penalties and i guess you can appreciate them for trying to have like very accurate uh assessments of exactly what happened but once you've realized that they're just going to be offsetting penalties just pick one on each side and come out and tell us like, oh, penalty on this side, penalty on this side, offsetting. You don't need to sit with your headset on for what must have been legitimately 10 minutes trying to decide what it was. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like an unsportsmanlike and a, like a game misconduct. And then I would have understood, you know, they wanted to know who's going to get thrown out and who's not. But then if no one's going to get thrown out, the, the whole moral of that story is if there's ever like a fight or something on the field, once you know that both teams are going to get a flag, then just go all in and have everyone on your team start throwing punches oh, no. and stuff because, no, because it doesn't matter if 10 of you get it. <laughs> but even no, if you get ejected, it, there's offsetting. So have like the, the backups just run in and start throwing punches. Okay. okay, backups, yes, you're right there. Backups, fine. But no, like that kind of doesn't Patrick... make sense to me as a rule. Like it's kind Outside of unfair. Penalties. Let's. Yeah, like let's say in a scenario where it was Allen got his penalty and then the other guy who stood over him then got his penalty. I think it's slightly unfair if then another guy comes in and has a pretty egregious penalty and then another guy on the same team comes in and like continues to beat up on this guy. I think at some point you need to say like, yeah, that was way worse what they did. So they should also be like, it shouldn't offset just because each one got one. Like if one team has three or four, it should at least count as an extra one. I mean, I didn't feel like anyone in that situation behaved terribly. Like none of them were awful penalties. It was just a little bit. There was just some handbags and pushing and shoving. Uh, the fear I would have if you implemented it the way you're saying is that you just end up punishing. You don't punish the instigator. So someone could just be intentionally trying to get people riled up and then like two people push him and you're like, oh, it worked out because my penalty got, got offset by this one, but then this other guy pushed me. So we got 15 yards out of it. So I'll do that you next can imagine, time. Again. You can imagine in a massive fight, people just like, oh, he punched him. Therefore I can punch this person. You can imagine this kind of like logistical nightmare going on inside of a scuffle. Um, Which is already right. That's 
I think already a problem in the NFL is all too often they don't punish the instigator. It is the the guy who acts second who gets in trouble. Like whenever it is a push or a shove, like you can kind of get away with nothing's happening and you give a guy a little push. And as long as no one reacts, you're fine. But then if the other guy reacts by pushing you to the ground, well, he's probably getting the flag thrown on him. Yeah, I mean, I don't have much else to take from that game. Uh, besides, I mean, Mahomes looked fine. And they, I think Sam said it, they did a really good job in not getting him hit. There was only one slight instance I saw him take any sort of hit to the head. But other than that, you know, he, I don't think he even took a sack all game. Maybe he took one. I don't know. I, but didn't run the ball. He well, he ran the ball. At all. He ran the ball twice, I think. And one of them, like quickly out of bounds, right? Uh, one of them, he just kind of like folded over at one. Yeah, point, he did. It? He had a very ungracious yeah. slide. Um, 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 yeah, gracious. Uh, <laughs> but he um, <laughs> that was a selfish he, slide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he uh, he. But also, I will say, he didn't look. There was a moment when he picked up a first down. He kind of got like seven or eight yards rolling out to the left. He didn't look particularly confident or comfortable in that moment. He looked a little bit slower and a little bit kind of labored in his movements but overall yeah the concussion or the toe probably the toe i guess but maybe also just a little bit scared but do you see that weird insert they had in his in his shoe did you see that before the game they showed like he had he has some state-of-the-art turf toe insert metal thing that they like sealed into his shoe and things like that it was weird it's supposed to prevent any more damage on the turf toe or something what you mean like a steel cap boot that he had no it was like kind of like an insole i think <laughs> hmm. it was more the only the insole he was not done any favors by you know how they have that like ultra hd camera that they come in for the close-up shots like the eight the 8k camera or whatever that is. i love that camera i think it's so i cool. hate it really i like it yeah. why do i like it because it's like when it gets into the when it gets into focus the the quality is so cool it's so nice the quality it's like a portrait mode camera i think it's too high of a quality i find it off-putting don't you just see like weird <laughs> blemishes on a human that you never would well that's where i was going to get into it so he was not done any favors by that camera at the, towards the very end of the game because he was cold out and his nose was running <laughs> A little bit and it was not the most uh attractive look in the world as he stood there with like snot running into his mouth it was not exactly pretty it wasn't like oh i hope this picture of me as i go to my second super bowl gets put up <laughs> now that was a crazy stat that was shared by uh espn well by sports center i don't know if you saw that but the stat that uh, Patrick Mahomes is obviously now heading to his second Super Bowl. And the last time that he lost a game by more than one score was November 19th, 2016, when Texas Tech lost 66-10 to Iowa State. He has wow. never lost an NFL game by wow. more than one score. Yeah, that is crazy. Until that game, they weren't winning many by more than one score either. What was it, eight games? The differentiator was 32 points. So they, they always cut it close, these Chiefs. And they were looking, look, in the end, weirdly, and it always seems to be the case almost, like that missed extra point ended up having 
relatively large implications because it would have changed the field towards the end of the game. They wouldn't have had to have gone for two. Uh, and that would have meant they got that ball back with it being a two score game, which would have felt different in the end. I think the, they were kind of resigned to defeat even after recovering the onside kick, just because it was still a three score game. That onside kick, there was the, where he had the tackle that fumbled. It legitimately looked like he had killed him. <laughs> both of those on i give the kicker credit they were both good onside kick attempts like they, that first one was his, great the first one was great and even the second one it kicked up nicely so he actually at least it wasn't one of those moments where like you need the onside kick to, to like keep your season alive and then they just absolutely fluff it and it goes like three yards and it's just a penalty and then you're just like oh great what was the stat? Was it the first one ever recovered in the playoffs or like in forever or something? Since 2015, the postseason, I think it yeah. was. Okay, yeah. Like first time in like six years or something that one's been recovered. If memory serves me right, I think the last time one would have been, it was when the, when the Packers played the Seahawks or something like that, when there was the big comeback. Something along, I'm, I can't remember completely, but. Who was it that did it against the Colts? Was it the Colts Saints in the Super Bowl? When they did the halftime onside kick. Oh, the yeah. Saints did it start, at the start of the half. Yeah, start the the that could be the last one, the actually. No, That's that was about 2000. six years ago, isn't it? <laughs> no, that was like <laughs> 2000. That was what, 2010. <laughs> yeah, it was the 2009 season. Okay. It was February 2010. That's the quality CTA of onside just... kicking has really plummeted in the last decade. <laughs> I think Drew Brees thinks that was only six years ago, though. All those Patriots Super Bowls just kind of blend together. <laughs> Speaking of that, so uh, Tom Brady going into the Super Bowl, it means he'll have played in 18% of all Super Bowls. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, the fact that he's going to his 10th Super Bowl um, he, is yeah, the, insane. The, they keep doing all these random like percentages for each time he progresses. So this time, him going into the Super Bowl, he has a higher percentage of making it to the Super Bowl to start a season than Steph Curry has as his all-time three-point percentage. Yeah, 10 Super Bowls was remarkable, particularly as a quarterback, right? Because it's not like he's the fullback, and although he might be a, an important cog, it's other people getting you there. Like, fundamentally, he has to be performing at the highest level for in order for his team to be there. So yeah. it's pretty extraordinary. I saw another good stat as well, that Brady in the postseason is 3-1, and one when he throws three picks in a game. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I, mean, I did like that uh, Joe Buck kind of confused Troy Aikman early in that game when he said that this is the first time that Tom Brady had ever played on a wild card team. And Troy Aikman like didn't get what he was saying. And obviously it wasn't clear because it made it sound like first time ever playing in the wild card round. Um. But then it became clear that he meant no, like a team that actually had to make the playoffs as a wild card team. Even that, when you then factor in the number of times he's been in the playoffs, now he's helped there by the fact that they played most of his career in an absolutely terrible division. But uh, even that was was kind of interesting. But I, I, will say, I will say, I'm. Oh, I will say something first because I started my jinx. first. So it's just, well, you both jinxed each other, so it's just me now for the next hour and a half. <laughs> I thought he was on pace to play like a classic vintage Brady game. 
at the end of the first half, if he had played the second half the same way, I think the story would have been like, is Brady 43 or 23? It looks amazing. That second half kind of dialed him back a little bit, which is a little unfortunate because I think it would have been a cooler storyline to see him just completely dominate Rodgers at age 43. But I still think overall he played a really good game. With, with those interceptions aside, you also have to factor in that they had about seven drops on him. Like that was unbelievable. And, and one or two of those interceptions were off Evan's hands, who normally catches everything. The one, this, the, I think the second one, the deeper one, that was a little questionable. Like he did jump up and it's still like he couldn't get it. But the other one went right through Evan's hands and they had about six other drops that game. So he wasn't being helped by his receivers. So I think overall he, he, he played well. I, I mean, I still think he's probably the reason they win that game. I don't know if he was the reason they won, but he played well. Um, and you're right. Had he not had the interceptions, you would have walked away feeling like that was a really good performance. In the end, I think it just goes down as kind of like an average game. He had some nice throws on third downs, some pretty crucial ones, but most yeah. of the time, most of the game, he wasn't that spectacular. And their third down conversion rate is not something that you're going to carry over into the fact that, you know, the fact at one point they were like seven for eight on third downs or whatever. You're not yeah. going to do that consistently. And I think that was what was getting to Brady by the end of it is that, see, the thing is the Packers had shut down the run game for pretty much all of it on the early downs, right? And it was forcing really good play from Brady on the third and out. So that was, the pressure was eventually coming to Brady. And I think that was becoming a problem. So it was a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde. I agree with Eddie. Like it's kind of like great and bad kind of make good, good average. Yeah, and you're also, it's just misleading, right? When you're having that much success on third down, you you, you know you're at some point, you got to come back to earth on that. You're not going to play a game where you're like, well, we were 19 of 20 on third down, especially as they weren't third and ones. You were talking about like third and sevens, third and eights. Um, so I think he was good. I think he was better than I expected. Even, even though I picked the Bucks to win, he played better than I thought he was going to play. And he showed enough for me in that game to think that they've got a chance in the Super Bowl. That's what I will say. Like, if he'd had a corpse of a performance, then I would have thought, no, this is like he's not going to be able to do anything against the Chiefs and Mahomes. But he at least there's a glimmer of hope there. Yeah, he had eight eight drop passes. I just looked it up. So half of his incompletions were drop passes. That is not. Now, here's an interesting one, and we'll save our Super Bowl preview for, uh, obviously, for next week, because we've got two weeks of build-up, and it's going to be everywhere. And the Tom Brady storylines are going to be everywhere, and the Patrick Mahomes storylines are going to be everywhere. And honestly, part of me hates the fact that it's now two weeks of that, because it might just become a little bit too much. But for whatever reason, Ladbrokes, um, I guess they had to create a market for whatever the outcome of that second game was. And they obviously wanted that market to be instantly available when the second game ended. And for whatever reason they published, like when you went on the Ladbrokes website, even when the game was over, it had the market of Tampa Bay versus the Bills and Tampa Bay versus the Chiefs. So fundamentally you got to see what the line would have been had the Bills won. What do you think the line would have been had it been a Tampa Bay 
Buffalo Bills Super Bowl? I'm going to say around five or six in favor of the Bucks. I'm going to say Let's Bucks minus five and a half. Bucks minus two. Split the difference, and you're right. It was Tampa Bay minus four. Hmm. That kind of stuns me. Because you're only saying that, well, at the moment, the line for the Super Bowl is three. So what you're saying is the Bills are only one point worse. It, yeah, it's it's kind of inconsistent with how they price the Bills-Chiefs game. Now, I guess what they would say is that the part of the reason that line was a little bit smaller was because of the doubt about Mahomes either initially that he was going to play or then how healthy he was going to be. So I guess they could say maybe that was worth two or three points. But there is a discrepancy there between how the Bills-Chiefs games was priced and then how the Bucks-Chiefs slash Bills was priced. But I do find it interesting, and this one's going to get run into the ground too, I do find it interesting that they are the first team to be playing a home Super Bowl. That kind of stuns me, just you would have thought it would have happened at some point. Um, yeah, but that's going to get run into the ground. Yeah. The other one I see that's bubbling to the top that is going to be run to the ground pretty quickly is the goat versus the kid with the kid being a baby goat. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah. That's I've heard that He's, three separate occasions already. The goat versus the kid. Okay. And you know what, you know what they call a baby goat, right? A kid. It's like, yeah, okay. We get it. Heard it already three times. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, the interesting thing about that being a home Super Bowl, the only reason to me that's really going to be interesting is because of the COVID restrictions and the advantage that might give Tampa Bay. Because uh, the Chiefs cannot go to Tampa Bay, I think, until a week before the game. Two days. Two days? They just announced it yesterday, two days before. So that is like quite substantial advantage for Tampa Bay and that they'll just be there and preparing. I also saw the price. What do you think now the price of a Super Bowl ticket is for this game? If you wanted to just get your, get your foot in the door for this Super Bowl in the middle of a pandemic, reduced attendance. What do you think? You're talking face value of the ticket or like what it's going for on the market, what it's going for. So there's like 29,000 tickets right but a load of that is like ring fenced off for like vaccinated key workers and stuff like that isn't it so yeah there can't be that many 900 like general say 900 i'm gonna go 900 i'm gonna go like 1200 1300 it's just under ten thousand dollars wow it's like nine thousand seven hundred dollars well wow yeah so here's my question though is how how are you even getting tickets how did the NFL sell tickets? Don't know. Put them up on its website, and you I mean, there's those people. But that's how they would normally do it. But because of COVID, they didn't know how many they were going to sell. So, like, did they just sell the tickets? They like, probably two did weeks like ago? a few. They probably did like a futures sale, as weird as that yeah. sounds, or like some sort of like nfl like vip club i don't know just something where people get like a pre-sale where it's like look give a deposit and if tickets do come out you get the opportunity to buy one it's probably something like that so i have a great trivia question for you guys i know we won't um get into our super bowl preview so this is the only one i'll give for my super bowl preview there are currently five universities that have a person 
who has become president graduate and a person who has won the Super Bowl graduate from the same university. What are those five universities? You know I'm out here, apart from a couple of famous ones. So well, there's one. There's one that is obvious because he's in the Super Bowl. <laughs> Michigan. Yes, Michigan. Tom Brady and Gerald Ford. That's not obvious. It, I mean, it is just if you know why that stat would have come up for Frank. That's the only reason yeah. it's obvious for me. Like the reason why you'll have stumbled across it will have been for that reason. Oh, but, Eddie, but that is not the only reason. It has come, has come to the surface recently. Uh, <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean come to the surface recently? Like it was cross-cutted that it went to you like, either? Or? Like another one, it went from four to five very recently. So, I mean, I, you, whenever you give these hints, I think you think that they're super obvious. So unless you're implying that it's Patrick Mahomes, so Texas yeah. Tech. He hasn't. But No, think, okay, there's either someone who is become well, president or won a Super Bowl. So did someone new just become president? Like two weeks ago. This is such a. Okay, this now is you're patronizing. This isn't such a patronizing. Now you're patronizing. This is getting cut. I'm not being patronized I, on air. I it's legitimately like thought. A child. I legitimately thought this could have been like a president from the 1840s, and they just found out where he's from or something. <laughs> you're the, you're like the king of giving. You like have. It's like when you have a quiz night or like you play Trivial Pursuit, and the person is looking at the answer. And so then they become super patronizing, yeah. being like, this oh, is so this obvious, one. guys. Like, it's something that happened recently. It's like, yeah. okay, there's a lot of things that have happened. Now you have in your mind the election, but um, I cannot even remember where Joe Biden went to college. So I, kn I know his hometown is Wilmington. So is it somewhere around there? Okay. Delaware. Okay, there we go. Delaware, Joe Biden and the mighty Joe Flacco. And was this, so wait, I don't even remember. Was your stat specific to quarterbacks who have won the Super Bowl? Yes, or anyone quarterbacks who have won the okay. Super Bowl and presidents. Okay. Yeah, I mean. The so only other just... one, the, the only other one that has a shot is Ben Roethlisberger, Miami of Ohio, which is crazy that a president went to of Miami, Ohio. That was Benjamin Harrison, so pretty long time ago. <laughs> and then, just out of interest, just to humor me here, why is that crazy? Just because it's a I small mean, school. Like, it's you a wouldn't think it's where in the middle of Ohio come from. Okay, got you. And then it Naval like... Academy. That makes sense. Which is crazy. The only person from the Naval Academy to be president is Jimmy Carter. I would have thought a lot before, but that's West Point, more likely that graduated from, not the Naval Academy, and then Stanford with Herbert Hoover and John Elway. All right. And, and yeah, unfortunately, it's a good, it's a... I was going to say if Mahomes wins, but he already won. But unfortunately, no one from Texas Tech has become president of the United States. <laughs> I think that's probably fortunate. But the um, that's a really good quiz question. It would have just been better if the quiz master hadn't turned into a patronizing douchebag whilst delivering it. <laughs> <laughs>
Come on, guys. I'm looking at the answer. It's yeah. so easy. Come on. Imagine, I can see imagine it in him front just of me. walking up with the microphone really close to the teams, just staring at them deadpan, just like, come on. I've got it. It's right here. It's so easy. Like, I think this is a reference that only our British listeners will get, but I think even Jeremy Paxman would have been taken aback by how patronizing and condescending. <laughs> oh, you can go fuck yourself, Eddie. Don't ever compare me to him. Although someone who probably will be getting some uh, condescending and patronizing questions over the next few days and weeks is probably Matt LaFleur, who made the controversial decision of taking the three points when the Packers were down eight with, what was it, like around four minutes left in that game? And they were fourth and through twenty even, and they were fourth and fourth and eight. Well, like on the eight yard line, fourth and goal. Yeah. Um, to me, it didn't make sense at the time. I, I, Frank and I, we were we were speaking about it. I didn't get it because you're both saying that you have confidence in your defense that they're going to get the stop, and then you have confidence in your offense that they're going to be able to drive back down, but you don't have the confidence in your offense that they could just get eight yards and then the two point conversion. And to me, it would have made more sense. You would have fundamentally been in exactly the same position. I know that you wouldn't have needed the two point conversion. And I know you would have been in position to win with a touchdown, but realistically you were kind of in the same position, even if you just failed going for it on fourth and eight, you would have had them pinned. And then you could have just said, okay, now it's over to our defense to get the ball back to us. And no matter what, that's what you were saying to your defense. Did you look at the, did you actually read LaFleur's comment about it? Like how he described what it was. So basically he said, the circumstances of having three shots and coming away with no yards and knowing you need a touchdown and a two point, the way I was looking at it, we essentially had four timeouts with a two minute warning. We knew we needed to get a stop, which is basically what he did. I mean, a lot of people have unpacked it as well because Rogers threw what is it three straight incompletes to get to that point and he had done the same in the first half so it's like are you are you doubting your MV probable MVP quarterback in red zone territory in a championship game it kind of I, I can see people thinking that for, based on the the rationale for not going for it whereas they'd also been super efficient over the course of the season right like it's something that they've been good at all year so it's the other surprising thing. It's not like you're suddenly in a big moment and you think this isn't one of our strengths. It fundamentally was one of their strengths. I mean, tied into that would be the conversation about Aaron Rodgers not deciding to just run with it on that third down where I think he probably could have scored the touchdown, but in the very least, he would have turned that into a fourth and two, fourth and three, which probably would have changed your decision-making. A, because he would have liked your chances of picking it up more, and B, because he would have also then thought, even if we turn it over now, they are really pinned back, and it's going to change what plays they can run so we can be even more aggressive on defense. Yeah. I mean, I will give it to Lafleur. One, the, the, one of the angles, I guess, that does make sense is that at that point, Brady was getting picked every possession, like three picks from the last four possessions. So you'd probably favor your defense to do it, but like you say they would have had to have done something anyway with the choice. I mean, the, the pass interference kind of killed it, to be honest. But ultimately, that seems a bit of a moot point to me. Like, yeah, the only, the only kind of 
dumb thing that maybe he's thinking in the back of his head, which obviously I don't agree with, is maybe he thinks if we score here and we get the two-point conversion, we've then given the ball back to Tom Brady with three timeouts, two minutes left in a tie game. And there's almost no way he doesn't drive down the field and beat us with no time left. So maybe he thought it'd be better to give him the ball back with them still up and have them maybe play conservative versus if they get the ball back in a tie game, you know, he's going to be going for that win. I don't agree with that logic. I don't think it makes much sense, but you can kind of see that in, in a, in a weird scenario. I just think I agree with you. I, I just don't think he trusted Rogers was just crazy, but just even not trusting Rogers, it just doesn't make sense to me unless you think it's that difficult to get a two point conversion, then I don't get why you'd rather not just give them the ball back at the seven yard line versus giving them the ball back at a minimum, the 25 yard line. So even in, in that sense, is, does that outweigh the risk of a two point conversion that much that you're willing to not even score a touchdown because a two point conversion is so hard. Like I, I, if you're going to have to trust your defense anyway, it'd almost be better to trust them on the seven than to trust them on the 25. Yeah. And to be perfectly honest with you, if you're going to kick the three points, go for the onside kick. Even if your chances of recovering it are minimal, at least that I could have said, like it would have have still been killed because it would have been a weird mixture of conservatism and like aggression in your play calling. But at least then I would have said like, okay, we've given ourselves an extra play where we might recover the ball and all right, they're on midfield, but we have, we just need to stop them from getting a first down. And no matter what, when they were giving, even if you kick it deep, they were two first downs away from losing the game anyway. So, yeah. I mean, the only thing you can give them credit for is they had that smart um, uh, offside penalty when they were the second and yeah. one, when they gave them the first down, that was smart. So I give him credit there for that move, but it still just seemed, which I didn't really get why the Bucks accepted it, I have to say. But, yeah, I didn't get that. Uh, like, I don't really get the advantage. I guess you're getting five more yards in case you punt, but you would have just thought, we're definitely going to pick up this uh, one yard over the next two attempts, so why not just have that as an extra play to waste another timeout? But, um, yeah, I think it, that's just going to be a big regret. And that, to me, is the thing, if I were the head coach when you're making that decision, you would think like, let's assume this goes wrong. Which one of these decisions will I be second guessing the most 24 hours from now? Yeah, he did say that. He said, yeah, anytime it doesn't work out, you always regret it, right? So. And you would have regretted it either way. But I think if you'd said, hey, we went for it on fourth and eight, but we thought we could get it. And then we had, then we had another chance to get the stop. It made sense. Whereas this time it was like, we kicked the field goal and we never touched the ball again. What's a shame about it, though, is that let's just say it materialized, right? They kicked the three points. They get the Bucks to a quick three and out. And it would have been great to see Rogers with about, what, 90 seconds, 100 seconds on the clock. What, one timeout maybe? Go 70, 80 yards on like a championship. This is for the Super Bowl level drive. I think that would have been great to see. I would have liked to have seen either scenario. I would have liked to have seen the Packers tie that game and then Tom Brady get the ball back with two minutes left in a tied game thinking 
okay, I need a 40, 50 yard drive to seal this and go to the Super Bowl again. In the end, it was the kind of the most anticlimactic. Uh, a war with the pass interference. Yeah. Like, which was the right call, but based on the way they'd been calling that game. I mean, it was, it was so obvious. He, I mean, he, when you're literally pulling a guy's jersey from yeah. for a couple of steps, you're, you're going to get called. It's just that they had been kind of letting everything go up until that point. So then to decide to enforce it on the game deciding play. Now, Eddie, I don't know if you felt this way, but when they called that pass interference, they showed two views on the side that you couldn't see anything. They then showed the like straight up view where you saw the guy grab a ton of Jersey and the Jersey be stretched like two feet. They then never showed that replay again and went back three times to the other replay that makes it look questionable. It felt as almost that they were like trying to make it a questionable call by not showing that replay. They never showed that replay. And when you saw that one replay, you're like, oh my God, he's got his jersey by like three feet. Like this is this is an easy call. Are you kidding me? And they never showed it again. I thought that was pretty sneaky of the coverage to almost try and build up like a controversial call debate. A little bit. I guess they, they if you're, if you're, even if you're saying they weren't trying to, I do think you're right there that they were being a little bit selective in the replays they were showing. The only thing I will say is obviously that was on the back of a missed, very obvious missed holding slash pass interference call when the Packers were in the red zone. So I guess you're trying to be kind of balanced where you're like, yeah. well, look, this is, you, you, you blew a really obvious one. And then this one, the other thing too is uh, he sold the hell out of that because his yeah. jersey was being held, but then he took off in the opposite direction when it was clear he wasn't going to get to the ball. He just threw himself on the ground because obviously watching it live, you don't like you, you didn't see the jersey pull, no, but you did see him go flying to the ground. So you're like, oh, we're going to get a flag here. The flag took forever to be thrown too. Is the other thing that made it a little bit controversial. I mean, I think they said been, it took if, forever because. It's, it was the judge who normally wouldn't call it. So I think he was waiting to see if the other guy called it because he's not the one, I think, who's like first to call that play. And then he was the one who had the viewpoint, though, that we saw on that one camera angle. And then once I think he saw the other guy didn't call it, then he throws it. But it did feel at least five to seven seconds after it happened. <laughs> yes legitimately felt like five seconds which feels like a very long time and usually yeah. at that moment by that time that kind of period has elapsed <laughs> did you just <Yeah>. burp <laughs> no it sounded like you just <laughs> belched i thought that was a said, low said, moment yeah. for the <laughs> oh, it just sounded like you. I mean, Sam obviously is in agreement with me, and I'm no, sure it the listeners legitimately was the burp. Yeah, that I'm was sure a burp. the list. No, was it? There it out, was it? Uh, it's fine man. to open up. It's absolutely fine. I mean, it's staying in. <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> I'm just. I'm glad we addressed it because otherwise, listeners would have been like, "What was that noise?" I'm pretty sure Frank just burped. <laughs> And then I guess the other thing about that, that call too is that's another part that always gets, I guess, forgotten about in those fourth down calls when you're on the goal line 
you see a lot of times on like a third and goal or a fourth and goal, a team gets bailed out by like a defensive holding penalty. So that's another thing, you know, especially if you're going to throw the ball four times and you have Devonte Adams, there's a chance that even if they don't get it, they get a first down there. So I, 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 I just don't know why he didn't go for I, it. I think you would have to throw that line of reasoning out based on the fact that they had not got a very obvious call. You would have been a bold. Maybe they were due. Like, Maybe they were due. Yeah. Um, but going look, back to I what feel, you said always, about, go ahead. I always feel sorry for officials in that position because you don't want to be the the thing that determines the outcome of a game. Not that you are, because obviously someone else has committed the infringement. Like it was a hold slash pass interference on um, on the play. But you don't want to be like, oh, I know if I throw this flag, it is game over. A team is going to the Super Bowl because I throw this. It's a little bit tough. Like I feel like I. I always feel, I know that. Um, but can't you make the argument a, the other way? That if you don't make that call, you, you've changed the outcome of the game it. as well, right? Yeah. So either if you make it or not, you're deciding the outcome. Again, we'll be more for our English or at least non-American listeners. The 2003 Rugby World Cup final, when Johnny Wilkinson kicked a drop goal to winning on the World Cup. Uh, seeing the referee afterwards talk about the fact that the Aust- several of the Australians were offside as they uh, passed the ball back to Johnny Wilkinson to set up the drop goal. And he spoke, he's spoken openly that he realized he doesn't signal advantage, which is what he should have done. And he kind of re- re- in his mind, he says, he thought, "Uh Oh, I'm going to have to give the penalty that decides the world cup. And then it went back to Johnny Wilkinson. And then he, in his mind, he Lucky says, I don't, boy. He said, it wasn't that I wanted England to win. It's that I didn't want to be a referee who determined the outcome of the World Cup. So at that moment, I probably wanted the kick to go through the posts more than anyone else in the world. (laughs) And so then he just said he just watched Johnny Wilkinson's kick go through and he was just relieved that he wasn't going to have to be a a referee who gave a a World Cup deciding penalty in the final 30 seconds of a match. Lucky in a way, but yeah, I imagine... that's actually quite interesting from a ref's perspective to hear that because you don't really hear football referees, soccer referees talking about those kind of like big decisions. Normally they just kind of throw the book at the scenario in any interview. They don't really give any personal commentary on it. Now, obviously they're not going to whilst they're still like an active career, but it would be interesting to understand some of these like old referees major moments and what was going through their head, for example. I'd actually be interested to read that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, and you had to give him credit for the honesty because he was, he. I think he knew in saying it, like there's criticism both ways. There's criticism if you're an Australian that like there was a moment when a referee was in the World Cup final hoping that a kick went through. At the same time, you could be critical as an English supporter saying you knew it was offside and you could have signaled advantage which would have taken perhaps some of the pressure off johnny wilkinson and instead he's taken it thinking if i miss this this is our chance gone um so you could kind of be you could kind of be critical of everything he did in those i mean but you're also talking about something that would have happened in the span of two three seconds you know so but you gotta give him credit it was it was interesting you can see it see the interview it's interesting to listen to him speak about it so, um, Eddie, obviously we've got the Bucks and the Chiefs at the Super Bowl, but given you are Mr. 
cult and superstition. I just wanted to ask for something. So NFC are at home for this game. So the Bucks are going to be the home team, right? They have played in the road whites for the three playoff wins this month. Do they stay in the playoff whites or do they go for their home red? I'm not actually superstitious about that kind of like clothing. That's never been one of, for all the superstitions that I have, that's never that's, been one of them. Interesting. Okay. It's never, when I played, I never cared. Like I was never someone who had like lucky socks or anything like that never mattered to me. Um, I was rational for that aspect of things. Um, <laughs> oh, but Sam, other... funny, funny you bring up Eddie and his cult and his superstitions. Yes. He had a good one. <laughs> yesterday he did. Like, <laughs> so now, so i want to cleaningly read, good one <laughs> i will read through our text exchange that eddie had with me eddie texted me with about i think it was about two minutes left in the first half of the packers bucks game and he goes packers turnover coming i'm no, brushing no, 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 no. my teeth you need, you, no you need to give more context here the Bucks got the ball back, and they were what up four, and they yes. they didn't did. eat enough clock, so they gave Aaron Rodgers the ball back with two minutes left. And you said like, "Oh no, they need at least another first down there," implying to at least make sure that Rodgers wasn't going to score before halftime. And I said like, "Nothing to worry about. I'm brushing my teeth. Packers turnover coming." And several plays later, Aaron Rodgers threw what his third or fourth pick of the season. Yep. And then the infamous last play touchdown pass happened, and the Bucks went up 21 10. And he yeah, says, You can on... thank me, early toothbrush, power move the Packers. <laughs> didn't see it coming. Packers didn't see it coming. Now, this is also on the back. Sam and I were part of a Zoom call. We do a like weekly um, Zoom like tri trivia pub quiz night. And uh, because of the podcast, uh, some questions were being asked about my cult and my superstitions. And I was having to explain them to people. And I was having to explain the power of the toothbrush. Um, and people were asking me what the success rate was. And I said, I obviously don't keep track of it event by event, but I was estimating about 60% on the toothbrush. But uh, so it was interesting that literally the very next moment it was used. So for anyone tracking it, I will now keep 100%. Going forward, I will keep a record of what happens. We're at 100% success rate at the moment for the toothbrush. Can we, can we have proof? Did you brush your teeth today? Yeah, but not during, during anything. I mean, I, I brush my teeth every day, <laughs> just to clear this what up. If, what Twice if there was like Japanese? What if there was like Japanese football and you brush your teeth? No, it has to be involved with a bet he has on. Yeah, I don't. I don't feel and like if I brush my. I was teeth, thinking of a specific scenario today that Benfica. he might have brushed his teeth no, for. Yeah, I did not. Um, but, but, but yeah, it's not just every time I brush my teeth. Like the world goes through like cataclysmic changes for three three and a half minutes and then i do not know i mean maybe that is the case maybe my power is even greater than i think and i don't know what's going on you know but um no my belief system obviously is that i need to be hoping for something to happen whilst doing that and that's when it impacts an event so do they wear their reds or their whites 
they, they go out with their toothbrushes in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dangerous, but worth it. I do well, like the fact that for new listeners who might not have the full context of what I'm talking about, I just sound like a complete and utter psycho. No, yeah. I've got context and I still feel the same way every day, Eddie. I mean, <laughs> what's fantastic is you've got this like snippet now where you've just said the power of the toothbrush. Now, obviously, dental hygiene is important and we encourage all our users to upkeep on that. But it's a weird sentence. Just we only had that, uh, that sponsor. Who is it, Eddie? Yeah. Uh, I can't Wisp? Remember, uh, is that it? Wisp. Wisp, yeah. Wisp but is our first bigger. sponsor. I, I want Colgate. I want Colgate. I'm loyal. Can you imagine brand. Eddie dressed or up as Captain? What's he called in America? The Colgate guy. Um, on the adverts, isn't there some sort of like character that they've got in the U.S.? You're on I your own. I don't think here. so. I'm on my own. Okay. <laughs> you're, this is. Uh, I, don't I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, I'm gonna you find. Might, you I, you I might be right. Something. But... I swear that it might be quite an old one where he defeats like cavities or something like that. I need to look it up now. <laughs> Because otherwise I sound mental. But yeah, Coral, uh, Coral, Coral, if you want to sponsor us, but no, Colgate or Oral-B, I'm open to offers and I'm, I'm willing to take this toothbrush power as being Oral-B exclusive if need be. Exclusivity on superstition sounds weird. Or exclusivity on incredible power. You gotta, you gotta think of it. Either it's just meaningless superstition, or this is like Oral B. This is like Oral B sponsoring the Ring in the Lord of the Rings. You know, like this. Oh, I, is, thought, I thought you were gonna say the, the Ring, the film. movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I had to specify sponsoring the well. Just Eddie. Eddie is like you watch the program, and he just starts climbing out, cleaning his teeth. <laughs> <laughs> now that is an image that would haunt my life. <laughs> If I popped in a VHS and that was the video, you could imagine him with his mouth foaming, just like, I'm doing it for Benfica to win. Or even more to the point, you know how when they turn their faces around and their faces are like frozen in that weird like jaw open thing? Every time they just got a toothbrush hanging out of their mouth. <laughs> Frank, I'd be more stunned if you're popping in a VHS. That's the real, that's the real part yeah. of that that would be surprising. What would you even think? I will. What's the equivalent now? Do you like download? What What do you mean? Do I people watch DVDs? Oh, I thought you meant equivalent media. I was like, well, there's lots. <laughs> I mean, I've still I've still got a DVD player, so if someone sent me a DVD, I could still pop it in. You got your Xbox? Yeah, that's that's my DVD player. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you've got an Xbox. You don't have a DVD I player. <laughs> no, I don't have a D I don't have a standalone DVD player now. But I'd have something capable. I mean, I've watched DVDs in the last year. I will say that. Really? Well, I did have no internet for three months. Yeah. So at that point, my DVD collection was was brought back out. Cobwebs were dusted off. And I got to enjoy <laughs> the DVDs that I bought, you know, 10, 15 years ago. I went through a period in my life where I bought a lot of DVDs. So which classics did you watch during your outage? That's the thing. I didn't watch any classics because, like, the time when I used to buy DVDs, I used to. I was coaching of the, the girls' JV soccer team, and I would commute to coach them uh, four times a week. And because uh, it was in the suburbs, I'd usually have this like oh, twenty to twenty. 
Huh? Is this going to be like you are in like the suburbs of Paris haggling with these people that are no. selling illegal DVDs? No. No, I would have 20 to 25 minutes in a train station waiting for my second train. And there was a Virgin Mega Store in the train station. And so out of pure boredom, at least twice a week, I would wander into the Virgin Mega Store and they used to have the like three DVDs for 20 euros kind of you know section and i would just almost every time i went in buy three dvds most people when they're waiting at a train station just buy like a drink or some food <laughs> sometimes the wait sometimes the wait was like 40 minutes so you you've, you've got to be you know you got to do something i wasn't just going to sit there like a zombie and stare waiting for a train to come brushing your teeth slowly yes. on the train just staring at people, <laughs> recording myself to prepare my ring video. I do want to follow up on my patronizing trivia question because oh, <laughs> I think you'll find it's patronize. <laughs> <laughs> because I got that trivia question. I was listening to the radio and they had on the two Jeopardy guys that always win um, Jennings and the gambling guy, I forget his name. The other guy, the guy who broke the system. Yeah, the other guy. Uh, they had those two on because they were starting a new a new trivia show in the States. So they had them on like a, uh, I don't know, it's like serious hits, you know, like a pop channel with these announcers who aren't the greatest radio hosts or smartest radio hosts. So they asked her two questions. She was like the one of the radio hosts. These are the two questions she asked. These were her answers. So the first one, this founding father, while only being five foot seven, was known as the Colossus. Do you want to take a guess? Not what the answer was, but what, what her guess was? Abraham Lincoln. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the notoriously... Tall president, excess <laughs> the shortest one. <laughs> Ken Jennings, when she said it, was like, um, "No." <laughs> I mean, and I he's not a founding said. father either. <laughs> yeah, that's the bigger issue. The size <laughs> yeah. is, is one thing. The I see how she's got there, right? Because she's she's heard Colossus. She's picked one. Yeah, and she's she's locked onto that as being the yeah. like key descriptive um, so i do see like obviously that's why i was able to guess it too i see how she got there i always feel bad for people because you're being put on the spot and you will have had that moment where you're like i bet you this is a softball but i can't get it uh-oh colossus tall who's a tall president abraham lincoln <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> and and in fact it was one that i think ken jennings had gotten wrong they were asking ones that they had gotten wrong. So it was obviously a difficult question. Um, and he said he knew that there was two presidents, two founding fathers that were really short, and he guessed the other one. The correct answer was John uh, Adams. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have got that right. Yeah. So the actual answer was tough. So this is the better one that she gives an answer to. <laughs> this holiday started in the state of Washington in June 1910. Now I'll start by giving you the correct answer. I would be surprised okay. if either of you got it because 
it was Father's Day, which is okay. older than it sounds. But you'd have to think of what is a holiday in June. And that yeah. would be, you know, her guesses. Her first guess was Pearl Harbor Day. <laughs> I was actually going to say State of Washington, joke. 1910. Her second guess and June, was you got also throw D-Day out. was yeah. the second guess D-Day. The second guess is worse than D-Day. The second guess uh. is Independence Day. Her two guesses were Harper Day and Independence Day being on June and starting in 1910 in the state of Washington. I mean, something so bad Eddie, must have happened at Pearl Harbor in 1910. Eddie, <laughs> where's your logic me. in her getting to that? <laughs> no, there's none there. I could defend. I could defend the Abraham Lincoln one. I cannot. Like, I don't even know which one of those guesses is worse. Like, the the Independence Day. Maybe because you should just know it's 4th of July and it is June. But maybe you could convince yourself, hey, maybe originally it was like June 30th and they moved it to the 4th of July. Pearl Harbor having not happened for another 31 years. That, that's And also <laughs> not being in Washington. I mean, <laughs> Or yeah. they moved Pearl Harbor because of the atrocities of 1910. Because Pearl Harbor was to originally say, in Washington. It would, have been the, it would have been the initiative of a real pessimist. You would have been like, look, guys, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen at Pearl Harbor, but at some point it's going to be something bad. So let's just start a holiday now and we can have the day off and then we can just wait until something, yeah. something horrible. The holiday for the first like 30 years is just confusion. It would be like if now, right? Not that it's if we were just like, we're going to call May 13th nuclear holocaust day and uh Sooner or later, we're probably going to be right. So we're just going to go <laughs> ahead with that and, and see how we do. For now, just everyone enjoy the free day off. I mean, I think, I think the Independence Day one is worse because most people actually refer to it as like the 4th of July. You know, people are like, oh, what are you doing for the 4th of July? You know, people don't say, what are you doing for Independence Day? I would say it's rarer to hear that than the 4th of July. So that's really does. bad. Well, the you, you are right, but I, I guess you could at least, as I said, at least you could convince yourself maybe it got moved by a few days. But the whereas, I guess equally you might not know, but Pearl Harbor was in nineteen in the nineteen forties. So maybe that's the thing. I I don't know, but it seems hard. Why to not Washington know that Pearl as well? Like if you had said Hawaii 1910, then even with knowing Pearl Harbor wasn't until the 1940s, you could you could at least say, okay, Hawaii, I, I took a shot. You know, maybe, maybe I didn't I misheard the date. Yeah. Maybe they were fooled by the Japanese in 1910. They were like, we're gonna bomb Pearl Harbor. And it's like <laughs> jokes on you. We waited 31 years and we got you. <laughs> we waited till you let your guard down. Yeah. Um yeah, no, those are two bad guesses. That's great. There was a um, there was one in the UK recently where it was name all of the states that start and begin with the letter A. So obviously, yeah, it's a pretty good question because I I can reel off a couple, but probably would struggle to get them all so quickly. Um, he did this logic in his head where he was just saying random states, and there was this moment where he comes across Florida, 
And obviously his eyes raise and he's like, oh, hey. And then he goes, he's like, yeah, my final answer is Florida. And the quiz guide just looks at him and goes, you what? (laughs) And he's like, he obviously takes it and he's like, I'm sorry, that's the wrong answer. You do realize it's an F in Florida. And the guy just goes so red from the situation. But it's going on to what Eddie said about like, you pick something, you're like, there is an A there and you forget like the original, like one part of the question. I'm always, I think it's always a little bit defensible, defensible, right? Because like you get in the moment, you're panicking, you're under pressure. And like, it's, it's always a lot harder than you think it is in the moment when there's stakes. That doesn't excuse Pearl Harbor level guesses (laughs) or, or even Florida. But I guess, you know, like in the moment you start thinking and then you forget what the, the clue is or whatever. And then you're just like, oh, oh yeah, this sounds right and then you say it and you probably have that instant moment of oh no what have i said on national television (laughs) but it's great right it's like one of my favorite moments is when people get like early questions and who wants to be a millionaire wrong they've kind of skipped that round because now it goes straight to a thousand right they've skipped the whole like 100 250 rounds because obviously it was boring because 99 percent of people just cruise through them but it was always funny when someone would get like yeah. first question, like which body orbits the earth? And then they would be like, Mercury. <laughs> like, oh God. <laughs> and it's great when they get it wrong and they're so assured of the answer. Yeah. When they're just like, yeah, be final answer. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. um, I'm sorry. Yeah. So eight people in the American version have gotten the first question wrong. Do you want to hear the questions? Yes. Sure. Okay. Which of these phrases is a common way of saying, I can't take it anymore? That's the last stick. That's the last leaf. That's the last straw. I'm moving to Canada. <laughs> it I'm doesn't sure say that, what they chose, unfortunately. I'm sorry. I'm sure, the, I'm sure the man or woman that said it probably said this after. I can't take it anymore. <laughs> probably I'm moving to Canada. <laughs> They were like, whether or not this is an expression, I'm about to start it. All right, how about this one? I don't know if this could slightly be unfair if someone has never watched it. Deep enough that the ball doesn't generally go in, hit the bottom and bounce out, what is the minimum depth of a regulation golf hole? Four inches, four feet, four miles, four light years. Okay, that was that had the sounding of a tough question, but then became very easy. I mean, if you think that Tiger Woods is like, he'd have to not only stick his arm in the hole, he'd have to be like, he'd have to be like I will, sticking his. If you've never seen <laughs> golf, there's a chance. No, 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 no. no. There's no. a chance she might pick light years. What? Four feet. Four feet. <laughs> I mean, that's half a human. <laughs> You'd have to. No, I know. I'm trying to. I'm trying to defend them slightly. Your level of never seeing golf would have to be at a level of like I don't understand basic human things. Like you would have had to have gone through life actively ignoring golf to like a ridiculous degree. Like never seen it on TV. Never driven past a golf course. Yeah. Never like anything. Like you'd have to be an alien, basically. Four light years away. Which, hey, supposedly they're aliens, right? That guy from uh, Israel 
said that oh, yeah. we've got aliens and that Donald Trump knows about it. Number three, homeowners buy surge protectors to protect their possessions from unexpected surges of what? Electric current, water flow, air pressure, buyer's remorse. I've seen this one. The person said water flow. I've seen that one. I think that they one, very quickly died. See, <laughs> like, putting surge protectors. I will say so water. far of the questions that you've asked, that is the only one where I could kind of defend someone. Because in a moment of panic and you're like under pressure and surge and you don't make the connection with the electricity and you kind of think like a surge of water or something, I could kind of, I'm not defending it. It's a really bad question to get wrong. But that to me makes more sense than being like, I think a golf hole is four, four feet deep. I like how feet is the one that's the challenge for you, not miles or light years. <laughs> because it, it implies that they did some basis of elimination. It's like, well, four light years is clearly stupid. <laughs> it, look, if they said four light years, then... No, they, they said, be... actually, I, I can see what they said. So the first one, the person said, that's the last stick. The other person said four feet. The other one person said water flow. And then this next one is... Slightly inebriated is a common definition of which of these words? Milky, watery, beery, jello shoddy. I mean, none of them in a way. Jello shoddy <laughs> sounds like it could be like a real slang term because yeah. you're wobbly and like you lose all your kind of balance. He went they watery. Jelly shoddy? They, he went watery. Yeah, I mean, that's not a great question, I've got to say, but the yeah. answer is obvious, but it's not, it's not exactly the, the best question ever put together. Snapping selfies in kitchens you can't afford and taking, quotation, a meatball break are two things BuzzFeed says every 20-something should do on their first trip to where? Paris, London, Rome, Ikea. The so snapping selfies in kitchens you can't afford and taking a meatball break are two things BuzzFeed says every 20-something should do on their first trip to where? He put Rome. But it's it, Ikea. You see, there I get, <laughs> so what I get there is that you've heard meatballs. You've locked on to meatballs. Like, that's at least, again, it's really bad. And that's to me, a bad question. Who wants to mean? If I went on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, you got to do that thing where you like, you've literally got to spend five minutes just being like, let me make sure I'm not missing something obvious here. Like I'm, I admire people who go to sit through Who Wants to Be a Millionaire recordings because obviously like when it gets edited down into a 30 minute episode and people answer pretty quickly, it's kind of interesting. But when you know the reality is that most people take like five to 10 minutes to think about their answer and you're just sitting there in a dark room watching a guy stare at a small screen in front of them being like B or C, B or C. Like, it is not a fascinating process. But Sam, you, I didn't want to leave you hanging and worry that aliens have, are about to invade Earth. Uh, the thing I was alluding to was that back in December, the former Israeli space security chief said that extraterrestrials exist and that a galactic federation is waiting for mankind or humankind, I suppose I should say humankind, to reach a level of sophistication and technological advancement in order to bring us into the federation. 
that is actually a theory though isn't it like you have these um levels of civilization a tier they're like tiers of civilization and we're like we're kind of between one and two where like i think two is that the 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 species of the planet has mastered the ability to utilize the planet's resources for its advancement is like a tier two and then tier three i think is like going into the stars of your local galaxy cluster and things like that so i look i mean I, he, this, could is be believable. For, this is the former head of the israeli space security so it's not like he's he might be a crackpot now but it's not like where he's coming from he's not just a complete weirdo who's come out of nowhere and some internet things have latched on and his claim included that there are already aliens amongst us and that there will be people on earth who are aliens who do not know that they are aliens do you mean immigrants <laughs> that's a great one <laughs> and oh, so that people, how terrible that, that is there's, that we've got like interbreeding going on and so that there are people being born who do not realize that like their dad was an alien and that they're 50% alien. Everything you said could have been peddled by the right wing. <laughs> yeah, it could be very quickly altered. And that, one, that one seems slightly unbelievable to me, though. Because it all seems a little bit unbelievable to me. Or the alien inbreeding or the... No, the fact that like you could be part alien and not know it because then the alien would have to have like the exact same physiology and biochemical properties that you have otherwise nothing would work nothing would be compatible like you go to the doctors like unless well, they more. have found a way to like morph their bodies or their form into exactly like the dna of a human i, I that one seems like a stretch <laughs> or even more i think with the popularity of things like 23 and me now You'd like send off your DNA sample yeah, and it would exactly. come back. It would be like, it'd be like 3% sub-Saharan African, 19% uh, North, Northern European, with like 62% Martian. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but hey, maybe that's whenever there's that percentage. I'm not done 23andMe personally because I'm not giving the government my DNA, but the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, I'm more to the point. I'm not giving my uh, DNA to someone to do carry out research on without me knowing about it, but uh, not with my my powerful toothbrush skills. But maybe whenever maybe you're unknown... part alien. This is it. This is why you have this oh, ability yeah. of the toothbrushing. This podcast was brought to you by Twenty Three of Me. <laughs> but maybe when they have the like seven percent unknown, maybe that's the alien DNA. Maybe, Sam. I got one more. Who wants to be a millionaire question that might upset you when attacked by predators which of these animals will often activate a large gland oh. known as an ink sac sam i hate to say someone got that wrong <laughs> someone what put owl <laughs> <laughs> what a wonderful image what were the other options cheetah squid owl paris hilton <laughs> There's actually something more funny about an owl just exploding with ink and a panic. Or I'm a, a little bit of kind of mean, unnecessary dig at Paris Hilton, though. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be pissed if you're just Paris Hilton sitting down to enjoy an, an episode of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And you're like, why are they why are they attacking me? 
I, mean, I wouldn't be that pissed when I realized my last name is Hilton. <laughs> no, and I also think it's very unlikely that Paris Hilton watch, watches Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, but just on the off chance that she does, you you don't need them to be jump, like joining the bandwagon of attacking you. Now, for my greatest segue ever, someone who I wishes, who I bet wishes that they had an, in, an ink sack that they could activate as they are currently being attacked is Frank Lampard, <laughs> who, has, who has been put placed under siege by Roman Abramovich and the Chelsea executives and has lost his job today in what was a surprising decision, I guess, in that it happened as quickly as it did and on the back of them winning an FA Cup game. Not that it was impressive that they beat Luton, but still didn't come right off after a defeat, which is when you would kind of expect the, the axe to fall. Um, They've also seemingly already appointed their replacement in uh, Is it Thomas. Yeah, former Borussia Dortmund and PSG manager. Be interesting to see if he brings his uh, cooler with him to sit on on the sidelines at Stamford Bridge. But uh, <laughs> Frank, I mean, the one thing you've got to say about Abramovich and Chelsea is that they are consistently ruthless. Now that was my question to to you two is is it unexpected that they didn't give him more time knowing who he is and what he's meant to the organization that at least you give him a better shot to turn it around I mean he got fourth last year right they finished fourth last year Yeah I mean- and 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 you're in a weird covid like year right now where you know maybe you know i understood they spent a shit ton of money on transfers but maybe it's hard for the transfers to really fit in and gel when you have you know practices being interrupted and canceled it's a weird year i feel like it's a little unfair to take someone who meant so much to to that organization and fire them halfway through a crazy season no that's, yes. I think this is like the ultimate display of ruthlessness for Abramovich. Um, all of the other people, like Mourinho became, like had a love affair with Chelsea because he came to Chelsea. Like none of the managers had a playing career at Chelsea. So Lampard was a Not true, like quite true. Of, who I, I'm starting Roberto, to... Roberto Di Matteo, who won Di the Mateo. Champions, who yes. won the Champions League and still who got sacked. <laughs> So that's true. He scored, what is it, the quickest FA Cup goal in history or something like that? Deeper two, yeah. I think. How's that one? This is, I think this is probably the ultimate display of ruthlessness. I, I, I was seeing some stat that they've paid off. I think the last five managers have taken 110 million in cancellation fees for their managerial contracts from Chelsea. The thing that you were saying, Frank, about that they spent a shit ton of money, whilst true, they're actually embargoed for the previous like 18 months or something before. So they were only able to sign one player. So they're spending over like a three-year period is less than most, but it was Lampard that pulled the trigger on all of these signings. And I feel a bit sorry for it. Like um, the stat was before the Everton game where they lost 2-0. What was that? Like nine games ago now. They're on a 17-match unbeaten run. And... The teams that they've lost to, to be honest, their performances have been bad, but the teams they've lost to in the last five or six have been Man City, uh, Wolves were one of them, um, Everton were one of them, Leicester were one of them, Arsenal were one of them. So they're not like they've played the bottom 
of the Premier League. Sheffield United. That was one of them for sure. It's a pretty <laughs> bad one. But it's the performances that have been a big problem, I think, for Abramovich. But yeah, it's been it's been pretty ruthless. Yeah, I think it's a combination of things, right? It's the performances, it's the results, it's the fact that all of these signings, well, most of them are struggling. I guess with the exception of maybe Mendy and Goal, that kind of the rest of them have basically got off to tough starts. Which you're right, like contextually, they might all turn good. So, you know, 20, like 12 months from now, people might be talk, talking about what a good signing Havertz was and like how well Werner's now adapted to the Premier League. But it's consistent. He's done it throughout his, as an owner of Chelsea, he's been ruthless at every stage. Like from the time that he got rid of Mourinho, when Mourinho had brought sort of, you know, success that he could have only dreamt of and then had his first kind of blip in the league. And even though they'd won, I think, two cups the season Mourinho got sacked, they still got rid of him. You know, like this is just what he does. But hey, look, if you're becoming a Chelsea manager, you you touched on the compensation packages that they'll get when they get sacked. You must be ensuring that your agent puts in a nice clause for like termination fee. And in a way, it must be kind of a dream job. Like, oh, I managed him for 12 months and I walked away with uh, 20 million pounds. That's not bad. Yeah, I think for I, I, I think it's surprising because they were clearly talking to Tuchel behind the scenes, right? You, you don't, I, Lampard clearly would have more time because there's not many managers lined up at the moment. Usually you wait a good couple of weeks, usually, don't you? But Tucho is going to be there tomorrow by the sounds of it. Which is the only other thing kind of makes sense is that they may have assessed the landscape and kind of said, right, who's available and who will be available in the next 12 months. And realistically, there aren't a lot of managers out there with, any kind of track record or experience with top clubs who you think like once Pochettino was off the table with PSG, you kind of would have been, you would have been sitting there thinking we might end up having to appoint either a relatively unknown or unproven manager if we get rid of Lampard. And in that case, we're really in in a problem because then people are going to turn on us. So I could kind of get that they saw if we like this guy, we've got to go now because we might not have anyone six months from now, there might not be anyone suitable for the job. I wonder if he's coming with like right now and if, cause what's the transfer window? Like another till February, till February 1st. So yeah, he technically so, has time to bring in us some signings if he wants to, you know, that was maybe part of it as well, but usually Chelsea's approach, right. When they sack people is just bring Gus Hiddink in for the rest of the season. <laughs> So I don't think they'll do that this time. But it's a shame, really, because Lampard's a very likable person. Um, he uh, kind of did well at Derby before going to Chelsea as well. So it's it's a shame. I think it's just a shame. And also, you see similar people that were in those situations. Like Arteta was on a brink at one point. Solskjaer was on a brink at multiple points. And, you know, Solskjaer is turning things around there at the moment. Arteta's had an uptick in form. Um but like you say, the thing with Chelsea is this is all to fall. There's nothing, there's nothing different about this. It's not like he sacked no one and then this has come out of nowhere. This is just the difference, different. right? United have traditionally given managers time. You know, Arsenal kind of have. It's, with United and Arsenal, it's always misleading because they just had such long tenures for single managers that it skews all the statistics and the like trends at the club anyway. But even in even in the period since Ferguson left at United. 
they fundamentally, with maybe the exception of Moyes, probably Moyes, but everyone else, they've kind of given them a chance. Mm. Um, and even in Arsenal, obviously, they gave, you know, they're giving people a chance to try and establish themselves. So yeah. it's the Chelsea way. The interesting thing to me is where does Frank Lampard go now? I was just about to bring that up. I mean, there is there isn't anywhere, really. You you've got to think that now that takes for the Premier League's there. Is it someone like well, Sheffield United are coming down, but is it someone like that? Newcastle it's tough. under it's t- under Ooh. Steve Bruce. It might be a but that's a tough that's an almost impossible deal. A guy's just spent two hundred million, then he goes to Newcastle gets about forty pence. It's yeah, it's tough to know if what you do for him. Do you wait for a top job? But that seems there's some you're just not going to get because of who he is, right? Like Frank Lampard's never going to become Spurs manager. Like there's there's some things that are never going to happen. He's probably never going to be able to become Arsenal manager. So, you know, do you now drop down West to the championship? Ham, but it's going okay with them at the yeah, moment. They're, they're doing all right. But West Ham would but, be yeah. a bit of a calling. Yeah, so like, do you now drop down and kind of do again what he did with Derby and hope to prove yourself over again? Like, it's going to be interesting to see what he does. Well, is that is that maybe part of the question though? England manager. Uh, I mean, it could he slightly be overrated? I mean, he was only at Derby for what one season, and now what two seasons at Chelsea and and is sacked in the second season. So, I mean, you're talking about like what position, what spots are open for him to go to. But do you think his stock is slightly overrated, having only been a manager for two and a half years? <laughs> I don't think his stock will be super high. I think anyone who now tries to appoint him will feel like they are rolling the dice a little bit at any level. Like I can say as a Blackburn Rover supporter, if Tony Mowbray left Blackburn and uh, Frank Lampard was the next manager, I'd be really happy because you just feel like Lampard comes in with a playing pedigree that would help you bring in players, which is what happened at Derby, right? Yeah. Um, now, also part of his success at Derby was because he had close connections to Chelsea and that allowed them to do things like bring Mason Mountain on loan. Now, I'm going to assume that some of those close connections to Chelsea might be a little bit uh, more sensitive going forward. <laughs> like, and maybe not, because Abramovich has shown that in a way that even though he's ruthless, he's able to maintain relationships after he's cut ties. Like, cause obviously with Mourinho coming back, other managers have come back. Like it doesn't seem like, even though he tre- seems to treat people badly, he does seem to kind of salvage something. So maybe Lampard would be able to drop down to the championship and still get Chelsea loanies. But I got one. Celtic have Gerard V. Lampard. Oh, Gerard, that would be interesting. Cause Lennon would be... is, I, I think Lennon's gone regardless of whether it's now or the end of the season, but that would be a legitimately exciting project for someone like Lampard. There's the prospect of Europe, there's money, and there's the, the idea of like the Gerard Lampard. Yeah. Look, the Gerard V. Lampard couldn't be like uh, something that was a huge player battle for the course of their career, turning into a managerial battle would be fascinating. And it would make the Scottish premiership the most interesting it has been in 20 years but the only thing i would say is and this is a little bit my issue even with steven gerrard who's doing a good job at rangers it's so hard to assess how good of a job you're doing 
because if you're at Celtic or Rangers, the feeling is, well, you've got to be top two and you probably should be winning things. So it's like, do you, pro- do you even prove yourself by going there? Like if Frank Lampard went to Celtic and the next year won the league, would anyone feel like, well, this is Frank Lampard showing Chelsea that he had, you know, the kind of managerial chops necessary to win things. I think most people go like, no, it's Celtic. Yeah. I mean, the marker of a Scottish football team usually is like Europe. And I'd say that Gerard has exceeded that this year with some of the results they got. But yeah, you're right. It's so hard with Scottish football to assess truly where they are. But... And I've also been, been hurt, right, by the fact that the conversion rate of ex-Celtic or ex-Rangers managers coming to tougher leagues not been incredible. I mean, I guess Brendan Rodgers is probably the best example, fundamentally. Um, but elsewhere, I mean, Tony Mowbray, having already mentioned him, was Celtic manager. It's not as if he's had like a sparkling managerial career in England. Um, you know, Neil Lennon did all right. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the Rangers side of things because you'd have to go back quite far because of their financial relegation yeah. that they had. So, like, they had some, what? Dick Advocar, I remember that, like when they had their real heyday. I'm trying to think of managers, but I can't think of Premier League ones. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, no, it's not exactly a a list of incredible managers who've been incredibly successful elsewhere. I mean, Gordon Strachan, um, who had his periods of success. Um, but yeah, it's not been... You're, you're mostly saying managers who managed Rangers or Celtic and then became decent mid-table Premier League managers, fundamentally. Now, Sam, I know that you've got a surprise for Frank because I know you have a quiz for us in mind. So do you want to tell us what it is? So, Frank, it's not a top five because I don't want to steal your thunder, but we're (laughs) at the half point of the season now, Premier League season. And the BBC, so the British Broadcasting Corporation, Every game has Oh, not a... Big Black Hawks? Um, it, well, <laughs> I had to make sure I was picking the right quiz. Is that what that means on those ads? <laughs> <laughs> I kept thought that I kept thought I was applying to be like Doctor Who. That's <laughs> called that as well. So um, the BBC, every game has like a sports player rater on their match reports. So the fans give each player a rating in the game. So the BBC has compiled a list of the top fan-rated player for the respective teams in the Premier League. So appreciate some of them, you know, you might not know. But who is the top-rated player for Arsenal this season? According to the fans, based on every game, giving them a rating on that game out of 10. That's tough. I would love for it to be Ozil. <laughs> just as like, well, he had, yeah, like he, fuck you. <laughs> just that's how bitter fair, Arsenal fans times, are right now. <laughs> to, to be fair, in that bad period, there was legitimately times when not being in the squad probably made you one of the best players. So. I'm going to guess. I don't love this as a guess. I'm going to guess Lacazette. Okay, super sub recently. Frank, the answer will surprise you. 
Are you doing research, Frank? No, no, I was thinking, but I was thinking, I, I said, I had my thing on mute. You didn't see me talk. I said it can't be Obama, no. yeah. Obama, yeah. Who? <laughs> it can't be him because he doesn't play for us. That's not who he is. <laughs> you mean Obama Yang? Yeah. All right. Do you want to know it or are you? I mean, it's got to take a guess, right? Yeah. Is that your guess? It's not yeah, that'll be my yeah. guess. Is that your guess? The field except Obama Yang. Is that your guess? <laughs> so the, oh, the can, I take a, can, I make a, can I make a second guess? Sure. Why not? Saka. Close. Second. Leno was third, the goalkeeper, which usually says a lot. But number one is Kieran Tierney. Oh, makes sense. Left back. Yeah. Probably one of the most consistent performers for Arsenal. Now, Aston Villa, let's be honest, is going to be an easy one. Grealish. Grealish. Average of 7.33. Uh, Tierney's was six, by the way. Oh, that's their best? Yeah. That's <laughs> everything you need to know about the Arsenal. It has been a tough season. Um, Brighton is Tariq Lamptey. I, I just want to say that because I imagine the guess might have been difficult. What about Burnley, Eddie? Just a curious one for you. Or Frank, if you know it. Hmm. I'll stop missing out some teams throughout. We're not just going to do the next 20 minutes of this. Is it, is it Pope? No. Is Pope it is third. Me? Is it me? Not me as in... <laughs> not, not, not me. Uh, no, actually, it's Ben me, Eddie. Not Eddie Hewitt. It is Ben me. Uh, Tarkowski is um, second. Good one. Chelsea. Whoa. And it's not Fat Frank. Oof. Mason Mount? Nope. That's Not even guess. in the top three. Is it Mendy? I'll give you a hint. He's not one of their new signings. Oh, Tammy Abraham? That... Nope. <laughs> it is... Um, Zuma? Nope. Um, Jorginho? Nope. Third is Ziyech. Second is Kante. Kante. No, second is Kante. First, Giroud. Oh, dear. Wow. I thought about saying it and I was like, no, I don't want to sound like an asshole. He is the only blue. He's the only Chelsea player above an average rate in a six. He's only played 430 minutes this season, but he scored nine goals. (laughs) Wow, Eddie, that's a very specific number for you to know off the top of your head. Yeah. Well, I just I just done an assessment of whether or not I should pick him up in fantasy football. So um, <laughs> Crystal Palace is um, it's Ezzy, uh-huh. isn't it? It's oh, Ezzy. okay, the, yeah, Ezzy, yeah. the the young um, player. Dennis um, Everton, I think, is pretty obvious, but just curious what you think. Uh, is it Calvert Lewin? Yeah, yeah. And then Hamas Rodriguez, then uh, Rickarlison. Uh Fulham is Lookman. Even after the penalty. Even after uh, the penalty. Yep. That must be interesting because he must have got a zero for that match. So he's done pretty well to drag his average back up. Yeah. Uh, Leeds is Calvin Phillips. Makes sense. L- Leicester is, um, I don't know if you want to guess Leicester. Go through a couple. Marty. Interesting, but not even in top three. Uh, Madison. Not top three. Barnes. Not top three. Justin? Not top three. Telemans? Not top three. They've got good depth. Schmeichel? <laughs> nope. Not top three. Uh, I, I, I mean, it's getting to the point where the remaining three will be. John, Johnny Evans? 
Fafana? Albrighton? Yes, he's third. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so he's not even top. I haven't even named top yet. So you've got third. You you listed eight players, so three in the top 11, starting at 11. You named one of them. Indeed, he's two. So come on. (laughs) Who's the other starter? Indeed, he's a good one. (laughs) Who's the one starter for them that you've not listed? Castagna, or whatever his name is. Castagna, yes. <laughs> that's, that's seriously impressive. That A, you went through the whole Leicester team, but B, you left all three of them till the end. Yeah. Liverpool. Uh, you can both chime in on this one. Sane. Hmm. Sane is second. Would it be Salah? I don't think so. Salah is not top three. Yeah. Allison is three. Robertson. No. Good guess. That's a good Alexander guess. Alexander Arnold. I knew you were going to go one wing back to the other, but no, <laughs> it's not him. Um, Give you one more guess. Oh, is it uh, Jota? Jota? It Jota. is Diego Jota. Man City. Sterling. No. Foden. Sterling is not top. Foden. Foden? No, Phil Foden. No, not Foden. No, no, no. Um, it's, I think it's surprising. that There's an obvious one in the top three. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne. Yes, he's two. Gundogan. So number one is, is su- third. Number one is surprising. Number one is surprising. Uh, Laporte. The other one. Um... <laughs> Stones, Diaz. John, it's John Stones. Oh. Good recovery on his Stones' career. Yeah, it's been a great recovery. He was looking at being sold to like I think there was one point where Arsenal were considering him at the point of the season. It's yeah. a hell of a turnaround though. It's good for England as well. Manu is an interesting one. Uh, it's got to be Bruno Fernandez. Second. I don't, it's, I, I don't know what my, by the way these are voted for by the, by fans, the fans of the club so it's not people just spamming the other team Rashford not even top three um, De Gea no Cavani it's Cavani that's a joke yeah. <laughs> it's Manu fans of course there's a joke Cavani ahead of Bruno Fernandes Fernandes then Juan Mata that's also um, a joke. <laughs> well, this is Man U, right? Is it, is, it just, is it just, wait, is this being voted on by like old Latinos? Is that like who the... <laughs> People in support of his tweet? <laughs> yeah, it's like, you to, in order to vote on this, you must be a native Spanish speaker aged between 30 and 45. <laughs> Duke Castle is Carl Darlow. Wouldn't have Shef- that. Sheffield United is Oliver Burke. I remember when he went to, what was it, Leipzig? I, I think he was that one either. Um, so we do Spurs. Is, <laughs> well, we are Frank not is there. impatient. Do you know what I'm at S's he's at going, the moment? He's going in alphabetical <laughs> order. So Southampton is a pretty easy one, I think. Oh. Um, Southampton is an easy one. Uh, Ward Prowse? No. no. Danny Ings. <laughs> yes. So it's uh, Ings, uh, Vestergaard, and then Ward Prowse. So Tottenham Hotspurs, Frank. Harry Kane. Second. Son. Son. Son is correct. Yeah. Third? 
Third, Indombole. Uh, um, no. Eric Dyer. No. Hugo Lloris. No. Okay, we're not going to do this again. Los <laughs> uh, uh, Celso. Oh, that's a weird one, too. That is a weird one. West Brom is Sam Johnston. West Ham is um, Antonio. Makes and sense. Wolves is Raul Jimenez. I thought that some obvious sense. ones, some surprising ones, but all of them usually carry pretty low ratings. Like people really do not rate about the Premier League this season. But there we go. Sam went with a top. I just 20. think it's, it's it's probably one of those things, right? Where when you lose, you're probably going to give no one on your team higher than like a six or a seven. So you're going to just drag it down, like like. You could score a hat trick, and the the team loses four three, and people will probably be like seven point five. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what happens with it. So um, most of the ratings are around like the highest ratings are around like six six and a half, which probably goes as far as saying it. Now I know we've had a lot of talk this year about whether or not we will get to attend Royal Ascot. I don't know if you saw the news from the Flaming Lips concert. But maybe they have the done something. Yeah, maybe they have done something. Would you attend Royal Ascot if each one of us had to be in an individual bubble? You know, it's like the um, the things you play, like the the like zorbing, zorbing. Yeah, like not too dissimilar to that. Would you like to watch the horse racing while literally being like the boy in the bubble? Oh yeah, as long no doubt. Yeah. Now, how long would it take until someone had a bit too much to drink and like the gold cup was disrupted because a bubble just rolls onto the, to the straight? It's destroyed. And, like, just, I, Stradivarius full steaming into a bubble. I thought you were going to say they got too drunk and then vomited inside the bubble because that 100%. would be disgusting. Oh, and then you vomit in the bubble and then people go and push it. Yeah, 100% that happens, 100%. But I'm more concerned about, like, even just heavy winds, like some light person being, like, blown onto the track mid-race. But it's an interesting idea. I did also see that... Um, who was the team who's promising to... Oh, forget that. can't remember the details. There was a team, I'll say it to you guys now in case you saw it. There's a team that was promising to test everyone in attendance at, at sporting events. Well, Eddie, maybe if uh, you can speed up on your vaccine and England could get vaccinated in time here, we'd uh, be able to attend Royal Ascot. I mean, I'm in France anyway, right? So <laughs> and, we're, and we're third in the world at the moment for vaccinations. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, well, we're on the verge of I'm assuming on Wednesday we're probably going back into full lockdown here. So, so I have. Yeah, that is the likely outcome. So that's um I'm not I've not got any attending sporting any sporting events anytime soon, I don't think. Did you all see that Ascot has permanently extended the race card now? To, yes. Uh, that is that makes it just that half an hour better. Every Just year. imagine how enjoyable it will be or when we do our Zoom. Worse. Half an hour worse. Yeah. <laughs> Just imagine how enjoyable it will be when we do our Zoom call and we still have that extra race. Just prepare, mentally preparing you, Frank, for what might be the reality. 
Oh, I'm I'm traveling somewhere. I'm, I'm either I will be either in Sam's apartment or Eddie's apartment, <laughs> or at Royal Ascot or Furlongs. One of the one of the four scenarios is happening for me. All right. Now I'll be fully vaccinated. Kind of, I'll be fine. Speaking of that kind of commitment and determination, and this is kind of brings us back to the NFL a little bit. But did you see the first press conference or like? statement from uh the new detroit lions head coach dan campbell no. i did not At his first press conference he was talking about the mentality that his team will have and i will read you this little extract from it he said we're gonna kick you in the teeth and when you punch us back we're gonna smile at you and when you knock us down we're gonna get up and on the way we're gonna bite a kneecap off we're going to stand up and it's going to take two more shots to knock us down. And on the way up, we're going to take your other kneecap and we're going to get up and it's going to take three shots to get us down. And when we do, we're going to take another hunk out of you. Just it sounds, vicious. It sounds like soul. <laughs> it's and also just so weird to, to, to go for the kneecap. Like that's the target area for the Detroit Biting Lions. Biting kneecaps. Okay, so he's He's he thinks the lines are going to be fighters next season. Then it was an interesting first impression given by a slightly sweaty man in a suit who doesn't look like he normally wears suits. Like it's it, it kind of looked a little bit like someone going off the deep end at like a local council meeting in a way. You know, I mean, like there was that kind of like like being kind of out of place, uncomfortable, and unnecessarily angry. Um, but an interesting motivational standpoint. So Dan Campbell was a former Giants tight end. He played about six full seasons in the NFL as a tight end, like started every game for six seasons. How many total receiving yards do you think he had in those six it's seasons? Be, it's always going to be incredibly low. So it's a question of how low we're going to go here. <laughs> I'm going to go... 310 yards over six years is it going to be some incredible feat of actually having negative yardage no it's actually no. It, it's actually not that low it's 800 yards in six seasons okay i mean that's not good but as a tight not. end like think about a tight end now who starts a full season if they're averaging 150 yards it's pretty rare yeah that's how i mean that's half a season for for like some of the top tight ends nearly I mean, not really, but like not far off what Kelsey yeah. or or Kittle will do in half a year. Um, yeah, but he did have eleven touchdowns, which is kind of strange. So eight hundred yards, Pretty but eleven t- touchdowns. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. But no, it was an interesting way to motivate. I don't know how I would feel if I was a Detroit Lions player. I think I would be worried that I was going to be dealing with an utter psycho. Maybe that's what that team like, needs. Yeah. yeah, but you have to imagine, like, if that's where you're setting the standard, like, this is your opening press conference, and you're talking about being knocked down and biting people's kneecaps off, like, what is he going to say in the locker room, like, mid-game? Like, how far is he going to go? Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, if that's if that's what he thinks is, like, public speaking acceptable, like, he is going to be going full on. Like, I want to see them do like a uh, hard knocks with him because that is going to be incredible behind the scenes footage. Maybe that's why he said that. Cause he wants to get on hard knocks. 
maybe. Would you well, like to? He also be did come so from New Orleans, right? Yeah, if you, you were got a, a player, reputation, would you be? <laughs> yeah, the Bounty Gate. This is this <laughs> kneecap gate. <laughs> would you be? Would, as a player, would you want to be on Hard Knocks? As a player, uh, yeah. yes. As long as I would say almost always yes, because obviously you're getting yourself out there more. And I think now in today's NFL, everyone's all about, you know, their own brand, their own image, but there's that worst case scenario where they portray you as like the bad guy or the idiot. And that could hurt your image, but nine times out of 10, I think you would want to be on it. Yeah. I think as a player, it might interest me as a coach. I would not want to be on it. I think it's hard no. to look really good as a coach coming out of it. I also, I would hate to be cut on hard knocks. I'd hate to like fundamentally lose your job on a television show, like for everyone to see. And the worst case scenario being like when there was that season where um, Davis got traded, it was like the Miami Dolphins hard knocks, I think. And he gets traded and they tell him he's being traded and he just like sits there and he's just like blank stare on his face. And he says like, can I call my grandmother? And it's quite endearing, but it's also like not the greatest look for a guy. It's like, Hey, we're going to trade you. And he's like, can I call my grandmother? And he talked to her about this big life moment. (laughs) It's kind of nice. Right. But it's probably not the thing you want on record is, is how you handle significant moments in your life. Now, I guess for a final update, um, I saw Vasilis this weekend for the first time in around a month. Regular listeners will know that Vasilis's love life uh, has has been covered a little little bit on uh, on uh, on this podcast. And he's our quirky Greek updates. friend for those who don't know. <laughs> yeah, had a few patient zero probably for the for the for COVID nineteen and. Uh, he gave me a few updates, including, so he, he found one girl who was really nice, extremely attractive, uh, who actually spent Christmas with his, him and his family because she was alone in Paris. So she came over for Christmas lunch, but he was out on her. The moment he, she said to him, he offered her a second glass of wine and she said, I don't really drink. And then he was like, nope, not girlfriend material. <laughs> Which I kind of got. I understand what he's saying. Like you want you want someone you can have fun with. So I do get it. Like if you like going out and you like socializing with your friends, you don't want to have a girlfriend who's like wants to stay home and doesn't want to do those things because that's gonna you're gonna butt heads at some point. But it was just funny to me that he was like everything was perfect, but then she didn't really drink. So done. But the best moment was when he told me that most of the people he's matching with at apps at the moment are transgender women. <laughs> that's is he on a transgender app? No, he's just on like Bumble, Happen, Tinder. But obviously there's quite a, I guess there's quite a lot of transgender women in Paris. And I guess they're also quite good looking, like, it, or at least can take very nice fo- photographs of themselves. Did they identify themselves so on he, there? So he said most of the time they say in their bio, like trans woman or whatever. So then he knows he's already, he's just a swiper, right? Like he's not putting much thought process into it. So he's just getting a match and yes, he's getting a match. And then he's looking at your bio. He's not usually like, Oh, does it seem like we're going to have a lot in common? Oh, she's, she's perfect for me. Swipe. It's more like, let's just throw, let's go shotgun tactic on this and hope for the best. 
so then he said most of the time they will say it in their bio but every once in a while they don't and he had one where he matched with this girl and he said she was really attractive and then her first message was like hey like you know how are things going and then he's like yeah fine and he was like she said where where in paris do you live he said where he lived she said oh i live really close do you want to come over and he he said he was like looked at her pictures and she, he was like she's really really good looking it's weird that she would just invite me over well, straight like it's away a, it's a trap basically yeah. so then he googled her and then found her instagram profile and her instagram profile was listed as like top five most attractive trans women in France. Like she, she oh, has a wow. ton of followers. That's quite a cool thing to be able to say. Yeah, no, good for her. I, I kind of questioned him like, are you a hard no on a trans woman? Like, is it, is it like, would you never consider it? Um, and then we got into discussing the story. He'd read a few things online about people who like married people and then found out like after like 10 or 15 years that they were trans. And that was an interesting discussion with him. I was like, would you, would you stay with them? Like you've fallen in love with them. You've spent 10 or 15 years. You've built a life with them at that moment. Does it matter that they used to be a man? Like, isn't, isn't it who they are now? Like, and he was like, no. No way. And then he was like, plus, I could definitely tell it was a man when I kissed them. He was like, no way I could kiss a trans woman and not immediately flag it as a man's mouth. Wait, from experience, <laughs> he knows that? Or? I don't know. <laughs> that sounded like fool, it to me. Fool me once. Shame on you. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was an interesting once again another interesting insight into the mind of Bacillus, which is a, a a truly wonderful thing. Wonderful is a nice way to put it. Interesting, fascinating. Let's go with fascinating. And I will just sign off. He's obviously he's going to be one of, uh, assuming no lockdown, probably be my uh, watching the Super Bowl with me. He has his Seattle Seahawks uh, hoodie that he. He wore over on Sunday and he was proud. He was like, this is going to be my outfit for football Sundays. Now we can meet up every football <laughs> Sunday and I'll wear my Seattle Seahawks hoodie. And I was like, well, Vasilis is the second to last football Sunday. And he was like, what? And I was like, oh, yeah, man. These, are the championship, these are the championship games, the Super Bowls in two weeks. And that's the end of the season until next September. And he was like, oh, he was so disappointed. He messaged me that he had gotten the Seahawks hoodie. And I asked him why the Seahawks. And he said he really liked the colors. Yeah. <laughs> he also is planning on getting, because he, he said you gave him a hard time and told him that he should have bought some giant stuff. So he's planning <laughs> on getting, he's planning on getting, <laughs> I, I don't know if I understood him correctly, but it sounded like he's planning on getting New York Giants sweatpants. And so that he can <laughs> wear this outfit. <laughs> Just some be. franchise mess. <laughs> he can wear he can wear an outfit that will be a Seattle Seahawks hoodie and then like gray New York Giants sweatpants. And then what's even better is his the hat that he's wearing at the moment. And he has some nice like team hats, but his new favorite hat is he just has a hat that's like NBA logo, like just the logo. Yeah. So it's like the and so it's like guy wearing NBA logo hat, Seattle Seahawks hoodie, New York Giants sweatpants, just seem like guys, I love American sports. 
I, I told him to either get Giants stuff or to get Kansas City Chiefs stuff because at least that'll last for a while, hopefully. Plus, I bet you he'd be if he knew if he really knew who Patrick Mahomes was. I think he'd be super into Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Or Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey might be his guy. Yeah. What you got to do is Eddie. Next time he comes over before the Super Bowl, show him the Travis Kelsey show. The, the he dating had. show. That reality TV dating show he had for a while. He'll probably love that. This is an NFL player. <laughs> I would love if anyone out there, whoever listens to this is like someone involved in the making of television shows. I would love to do the equivalent with Bacillus where it's like a dating show, just like the bachelor, just <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But where it's just vast. So they know it's vast. It's just 50 women trying to get vast. And I would love to watch him like the, when he just does it like one-on-one with a camera and expresses himself would just be pure gold. The reasonings he'll have for why he is not into or attracted to a woman would yes. be amazing. Oh, it would be, it would get him canceled if, probably, but it would be incredible. If you thought Jerry Seinfeld and the man hands was like a, like a controversial reason to not date a woman, that would be like reason 95 on his list. Yeah, no, we have to put it together. It could be on like, a Greek island, just like have a private Greek island where like fifty women go, and Vasilis is just there, having taking them on dates. Yeah, it's Greek it to me. Amazing. That's the title. Oh, there we go. That's it. There and we go. on an island in Greece with like all. Oh, it'd be great too because you can get you can get American women to easily sign up for a show where they get to vacation in Greece on like a dating show. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, All right, we're pitching everything. This. We've got we've got soup juice as the spin-off podcast. We've got a TV show. This is gonna be one hell of a franchise. <laughs> this, this is a is, multimedia a, conglomerate. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna be a media empire on the back of this. All right, guys. All right. We'll see you boys later. Great.